Hey guys. Now I have to ask your forgiveness because normally when I get to talk to you, oh there I am, hello, I'm a bit late, but normally when I get to talk to you guys, I don't look at my notes because I get all distracted by them. But tonight what I'd like to do is ask your forgiveness because I am going to look at my notes because when I was preparing for this, and I always love getting to actually talk to you guys, um, because preparing to say what you believe in front of a bunch of people is a really good time of narrowing down on what on earth you believe about something, right? And so I always love the opportunity. So first of all, I want to thank you and all the lovely rostering people and Jono for having a holiday because I get to come up and do this for you, right? And before I start, what I should say is I want to say a big thank you because we still have lots of people that are coming right down the barrel of that camera and checking in on what we're doing here at Access every Sunday. So hello everyone online. Make sure you're chatting and talking to everyone and using the uh, chat function in the stream. Um, welcome to Access. Guys, Christmas is a time for freedom is the fun topic which I was given. And I don't know about you, but I actually feel like I, before I started, I felt like I knew a lot about freedom. As Christians, speaking mainly for those who've already made a commitment, which is probably most of the people in the room and watching online, we probably generally feel like we've got what this freedom thing is about. We know that Jesus and what happened is about freedom. But I want to talk to you a little bit about it. I want to have a look at some things that will help us remember. I want to have a look at some things that maybe we haven't thought enough about recently. So you might think you know all the answers, but I want you to approach all of this with an open mind. Okay? And I also want to ask you to excuse me because I use a lot of Bible references. <laughs> so there are going to be lots up there, but I won't read all of them. But I'd love for you to actually go back and look at these in detail and look at them in context. Because um, we actually don't have time in half an hour to do the sort of depth of some of these stuff that we're opening up that I'd like to. It's really hard to come to Christmas without thinking about Jesus. The picture of a manger and Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and all that stuff. It's almost impossible in modern westernised world to think about Christmas without picturing that scene. I'm a little bit sad to say that even as a Christian, I often don't think about that enough. Isn't it a little bit sad that we come to Christmas time and it becomes really obvious to us, it comes front of mind again? I'd like, to, I'd like to be better at focusing on the fact that Jesus came and was born and had a life and had a ministry and died on a cross and was resurrected. I don't think about that enough. And Christmas is a time where it sort of narrows our thinking down a little bit. It really gets us to focus on that. The, thing that, the reason I'm sad is it really shouldn't, as Christians, we be totally about Jesus all the time. It's in the name. We, are, we should be about Jesus. We should be thinking about this amazing story all the time and focusing on it. Now, in the modern age, in the Western world, this time of year, we're really lucky because we get to talk about the birth of Jesus but it's also really hard in modern society not to be distracted by all the other things that are happening at Christmas time. We get carried away. We heard some of the other people. We get carried away with the idea of presents, with shopping, 
lists. I've got one on my phone with a tick box for all the people and what I'm getting them so I don't forget someone. We get carried away with decorating and family engagements and planning time away and holidays and camping and celebrating school finishes. I want to give, like for instance, Lily, my Lily is 11 and she's just finished grade six. We're super proud of the young lady that she's become. But she's leaving her primary school and going to high school. And so our time at the end of this year has all been about graduating primary school. We've done events and graduations and parties for this and a pool party for this and I'm never going to see you again. Right? That's all that this year has felt like it was about, the end of this year. And I can tell you that I'm very proud of her, but if I have to go to another graduation thing, I'm going to be a little less proud. <laughs> it has just overtaken the end of the year for us. But isn't it easy at the end of the year to focus on something other than Jesus? And I'm not saying be anti-Santa or anything like that. I'm just saying it's really hard, to, it's really easy, sorry, to lose focus. The reason we should really be getting excited about Christmas is because we're celebrating Jesus' life. What his life means in the broader story of God's mega story with you and me. We read a bit about it in the Bible. But we know that Christmas is something special. We know it's significant. In fact, it may actually be the most significant moment or time to remember in the whole of human history. The thing is, Jesus was talked about for hundreds of years before he actually showed up. There were many prophecies to the nation of Israel about this, and, and they were anxious and expectant for a Messiah to come, a saviour to come. Isaiah 61 one says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release them a release from darkness, the prisoners. The thing is that when Jesus stood in a temple and read that and said, hey guys, I'm here, right? It really wasn't what they were expecting. They were expecting something very different. They were expecting and they were excited about a coming Messiah, but it wasn't this Jesus bloke. But I can tell you what it was. It was a hope of freedom. A hope of freedom is what the Israelites back then were wanting and what us, when we reflect on the birth of Jesus, can get out of his birth and life and the stuff that he did. The thing is, they knew that God's kingdom was coming. God's freedom was coming. There was going to be a removing of restraint. There was going to be a removing of obstacles. There was going to be lifting of burdens. There was going to be seeing of God's glory realised. Seeing God's kingdom come to a reality. Seeing God's kids, you, me, blessed. They knew freedom was coming. Isaiah 9.6 says... 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. We've heard it in the Christmas carols. Now the thing is, the Israelites were thinking this freedom, they were thinking about it in a very nationalistic way. They were expecting that there was going to be freedom from someone else living in their land. They thought there was going to be freedom from someone else's rule. Now, the Romans had moved in at the time of Jesus, and they weren't too happy about that. They wanted freedom from them. They also believed that when the Messiah came, there was going to be a removal of sickness and pain, and that there would be a king who would sit on a throne and rule over the world with authority and power. That is the Messiah that they were expecting. Now, remember that the Israelites share a common backstory with us as Christians. They study the same Old Testament. They knew something special was coming. They just didn't realise what was actually on the table for them. They didn't actually realise that, in fact, this Jesus in the manger was the Messiah and the Saviour they were waiting for. So if they didn't get it quite right, let's talk about what freedom do we actually get from this baby, his life and ministry, death, resurrection. What is the freedom that us as Christians enjoy? I've got some ideas for you. Free from fear. Free to have the Holy Spirit. Free to talk straight with God. What about free from loneliness? What about free from rejection? Free from self-doubt. Free from blame. Free from punishment. Free from the unknown. Free from guilt. Free from conditions or deals or what-if statements. Free to be close to God. Free from comparison to others. Free to be heirs to the kingdom of heaven. We're also free not to be with God. And free to be with God. We're free to sin. And free not to sin. We're free. What I want to talk to you guys is I want to narrow in on a couple of them. Freedom from separation from God. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear you. Now, I know you guys know this. But I want you to turn off your I know, this, I know all this stuff, Tim, brain for a minute and really think about what we're saying. I want you to reflect on this idea in the context of the freedom that Christmas brings. The freedom that God's made real through Jesus and what he did for us. Now, you know this, but I'm going I'm to give us a reminder. Right? In the Garden of Eden... Here we are, right back at the beginning of the story. 
Unfortunately, we were separated from God and we lost connection. God takes two humans and says, okay, guys, all this stuff is yours, but not that bit. A snake shows up. We know this is Satan. Tempts Eve. She eats of the tree God said not to. And humans deviated from what God wanted. A separation began. This divide that was created back then has a lasting effect for us as humans. Even today, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. And unfortunately, that means for us we don't get to see eye to eye. We know that God loves us. We know that sin gets in the way of that. And we're unable to really know God personally, intimately, because of sin. Because of the stuff that God isn't about. Gets in the way. And I find such sadness in the concept that that is a life unfulfilled. That is a life not at its potential. That's a life disconnected from its real purpose. How sad it is to not be, create, not be connected to the creator of the universe. Right? The one who changes history and makes miracles happen. Luckily for you and me, enter the Saviour Jesus. Time and time again, the New Testament is filled with verses that tell us that because of what Jesus did on that cross, we're free from any limitation. We're free from the limitation that our sinful nature puts on us, between us and God. All the barriers between us are destroyed. Gone. There's actually nothing there with any power between us and the creator of the universe having a personal one-on-one relationship. Colossians 1.22 luckily agrees with me. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The cool thing is it's now that we can receive the Holy Spirit. We can actually have God dwelling inside of us, talking with us, interacting with us, being personal with us. It's like the ultimate life upgrade. And it's free. Now, if I stopped there, packed up and went home, isn't that enough? Isn't that exciting? Isn't that a great story? Isn't that an amazing outcome? Free upgrades. Everyone gets one. But I think there's more we can learn about freedom at Christmas. What about freedom from the law? 
In preparation for this, I felt like I needed to look at the book of Galatians. Now, if you haven't done so, I want to, it's only eight, uh, sorry, it's only six chapters long. So I'm going to encourage you to sit and in one sitting read Galatians. Instead of scrolling on Facebook for an hour, read Galatians. I'll tell you that Martin Luther actually is quoted as saying that Galatians is my epistle. I, am, I have wedded it to myself. I love that guy. It's mine, he says. I love it that much. The book is almost entirely about the concept of freedom. In the book, Galatians, in 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's well worth a read. So you have to do it. That's your homework, okay? <laughs> Thanks, Galen. Galatians 2.16 says, Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of law, because by the works of law no one is justified. No one is made okay. The whole of Galatians by Paul is a book that is focusing on the concept of freedom. He talks about freedom from our previous sin and bound to the stuff that God's not about. He talks about freedom from bad habits. He talks about how those bad habits disconnect us from God. And he encourages his readers to know that by, because of what Jesus, Jesus did, they're Free. They're not bound by the law anymore. They're now free to eat whatever they want. They're now free to live without being circumcised. Living by the law was not the focus anymore. Now, when I looked at that, the word law is something that doesn't really connect with me. Because we're talking about Hebrew traditions and a law that was been with the Israelites for hundreds of years. And I struggle, struggle to reconcile what that means for me in Australia, 2020, dad of two kids, 30, whatever I am now, eight-ish, I think. I always forget. So how do we take this idea that Paul's talking about and make it real for you and me today? And when I was reflecting on this, I, wanted to, I ended up asking myself some questions. What law do we impose on ourselves and others? Is being financially well off a barrier we make for ourselves? Or for other people? How about things like church attendance? The clothes that I'm wearing? My interests? Are they barriers that I put around connecting with God for me or my expectation on other people? The thing is, church, we have to stop that. It's not biblical.
Paul is here really directly telling the, the people, his list, the readers, that those people who tell you there's a bunch of hoops to jump through to be okay with God are wrong. Don't listen to them. In fact, it goes further to say that those people that rely on that stuff are going to be really disappointed because they're going to fail. You cannot get free from the law. You cannot get freedom from following a bunch of rules. Romans 8, 1 to 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in his likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what does that mean? No rules. Yes! I'm a nonconformist. I only wore jeans because I felt bad about wearing shorts on camera. I know, they're ugly knees. I get it. But does it mean no rules, guys? No way. Does it mean we, get, we can do whatever we want? It doesn't. The thing is, the New Testament writers knew that we would be saying that. Because <laughs> they knew that you were going to read that and go, yes, no law. Free time. There are numerous times in the New Testament where we are told that just because we don't have to follow the law, as declared in the Old Testament and the Torah and the teaching of the Israelites, thing is we're still guided by our love for God. In 1 Corinthians 10.23, it says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I also have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. The thing is, we don't want to obey God because we get anything or because if we don't, He's not going to like us anymore. We want to obey God because we love him. We learn in Hebrews 10 that when we accept Jesus into our lives, there's actually a new law that's written on our hearts and in our minds. Hebrews 10.16 says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. And were, and were these have been forgiven. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We've learned that what God wants, and we, have, we can see what God wants and his heart through the whole of history between God and us. He's shown us what delights him. He's shown us what his will is. He's shown us his hopes for the human race. 
And it's right throughout the Bible. Now, as I love God, trust him and recognize his rightful place as the perfect father, won't I want to do those things that delight him? Won't I listen to his recommendations and his requests of me? The Bible tells me that if I'm really a child of God, I'm going to. So not do I have a bunch of rules I have to follow. I am free from them. What I have to do is love God, which means I want to make him happy, which means I want to do what he loves. That means I'm going to listen when he says, if you want to have the best kind of life there is, this is how you do it. I'll go, all right. No question. I want to think about my kids because really we're God's kids. And the cool thing about being a dad is they teach me a hell of a lot about me and God. When they do something I told them not to do, why do they do that? I've come up with a few reasons. I'm sure there's more. They either think that they know better than me, because what does dad know? Right? And I'm a kid. My dad doesn't know anything either, so I get it. (laughs) I hope he's watching. Love you, dad. They've decided to let something else tell them that what they're doing is a good idea. They've put input from another place as more important than mine. That's another reason that they're just doing what, not doing what I've asked them to do. Or they could be doing it because they want to be in control. They're defiant. You're not telling me what to do, Dad. I'm going to do it my way. And we're exactly the same with God. They're the same reason we don't do what God wants. We think we know better, or we want to be in control, or we've let something else convince us that his way's wrong. The ultimate thing and the center part of all of this and the center part of sin is a selfishness and a desire to be in control. We want to do it our way. We want to be our own boss of our own life. Because of what that baby Jesus went on to achieve, we are free from rules and a law that is impossible to meet. We're free to love God and to live in a way that honours him and loves him. And we're we're uncontrolled by some unattainable set of rules that will leave us sad and unfulfilled and definitely not living our best life. The last thing I want to focus on for us is we're also free from being stuck in sin. I mentioned this before when I was talking about Galatians 5.1. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again against by a yoke of slavery. Don't be stuck in your old ways. 
Paul is super direct here in his writing. The life you had pre-Jesus, it's gone, skis. God has even gone so far as not remembering it. Why are you remembering it? In another part of the Bible, it talks about us being washed whiter than snow. Blameless in God's sight. In fact, as Christians, when God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. He's got Jesus goggles on when he looks at all of you beautiful people. We have inherited the perfect nature of Jesus in God's eyes. We're seen as righteous, with no need for punishment, no need for sacrifice. We're totally covered. Done. Bill's paid. Paul is reminding his readers here that they've been saved and that they do not need to be burdened again by the things they're saved from. Paul often asks his readers to stand up Stand firm. Continue the good fight. Stay faithful. Remember in Hebrews 10, it said, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. The reality is that we need to live like we're not controlled by sin or our sinful desires anymore. We need to start to live like we're actually seen, blameless in God's sight. How many of us are holding on to life's failures? How many of us reflect on what we've done as Christians in our walk that's not what God wanted? I'd say it's pretty regular for me. And that's not God's plan for us at all. That sort of reflection on past wrongs looks at what Jesus did on the cross and laughs at it. Makes it seem like it has no worth. What happens if we really start to live like people who are totally righteous in the eyes of the creator of the universe? You know, life is stinking hard. And our journey towards and with God is sometimes slow. Sometimes it goes in reverse. (laughs) Other times it's full throttle, 100 k's an hour in the right direction. What I want to do at this point is I want to draw a little picture for you. And we're going to see how this works. Because technology is not normally our friend. And this is an analogy that I use, and it helps me remember what I'm talking about when I'm talking about journey with God. Let me give you an example. This is God in the middle. Unfortunately, the Garden of Eden happened, and so we got a barrier 
I'm going to call this barrier sin. You're not allowed to pick on my drawing, right? Look past the bad drawing. And I'm going to put another barrier around here. And this is going to be guilt and punishment. What are some of those other things we said we're free from in our big list? Yell them out to me. Comparison. Great. What else? Anyone else? Fear. Thank you. Other things? Great. Thank you so much. Now, how do you spell loneliness? You know what? Can I put spelling? No, that's cheapening in the diagram. Guys, what I want to say to you is that, see, this here is me. And without Jesus, what I do is I move further away from God and closer to God. And my journey does this. But look, there's always a block. This is what Jesus does. First thing he did is he said, sin. I got it, guys. There it goes. Don't worry about it. We're now able to connect with God. There's no barriers left. So I'm still flying all around the place. But look. I can get all the way to God. But sometimes when my journey gets really bad, I remember all this stuff. And I still feel contained. What does God do? Yeah, don't worry about it. It's gone. That doesn't change the journey. I still go in all sorts of directions. I still stuff up. I still remember my previous thing. And you know what's really important is just I have a choice right through the journey to turn it around and start heading back to God. God says it doesn't really matter how far away you are or how big your mistake. You've got a choice. Just turn it around. Be pointing in the right direction. That's all we have to do is point in the right direction. Because all the other stuff, he's handled it. We're actually free. Christmas is a super exciting time for celebration. We cannot, however, make the same mistake that those who were around when Jesus was born in the manger at Christmas that we remember, the same mistake they made where they forgot what it actually meant. Since the beginning of time, God has been advertising a free giveaway. Doesn't even need steak knives. The Bible tells this story cover to cover. Christmas is a time of celebration. Christmas is the final realization 
of God's plan for freeing human beings from the slavery of pain and sin and doing stuff that does not let us live our best life. We are living life not to its potential, consumed by substantial relationships, substandard love, substandard support, a substandard purpose and joy and peace. There is a free upgrade for everyone. (laughs) There's just a small fine print, love me back. Baby in the manger at Christmas is the key to freedom. Jesus opens up the door of heaven to a life that's truly realized, that reaches its full potential. The key is love. It's ultimately expressed as a sacrifice and a payment and undeserved punishment that Jesus took on for us. And the reward for you and me? Freedom. Absolute freedom. Let's sing together.